on April 20th, 1889, in Brana Aim, Austria, a son was born to a government customs agent and a housekeeper. Alois and Clara Hitler would name their son Adolf. Adolf was one of six children born to them, but only he and his sister Paula lived to adulthood. Adolf loved to paint, and he, and he loved the arts, and he wanted to pursue a career as a painter. But his father wanted him to be involved in politics. In 1913, Adolf moved to Germany and joined the army to fight in World War I. Adolf was injured at the Battle of the Somme and would be later awarded the Iron Cross First Class and the Black Wound Badge. After joining the German Workers' Party, the precursor to the Nazi Party, Adolf began to rise to power due to his hatred of Marxists and Jews who he blamed for Germany's loss in the First World War. In 1923, Hitler led a coup and tried to seize power of Germany, but the coup failed and Hitler was imprisoned for nine months. After being released, Hitler gained popularity by supporting the attack on the Treaty of Versailles and promoting pan-Germanism, anti-Semitism, and anti-communism with charismatic oratory and Nazi propaganda. Hitler once said, if you tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, people will begin to believe it. Hitler went on to be responsible for the death of 11 million people through concentration camps and genocide. Six million of those people were killed solely because they were Jews, which was about two-thirds of the Jewish population of all of Europe. What brings about such hatred? racism, and prejudice. Today, we are in week three of our series, Finding Truth in a World of Lies. Our goal in this series is to show what God has to say about what is happening in the world around us. I want to welcome all of you here in Noonan, in LaGrange, and those of you watching us online. Today, we're going to deal with a very heavy topic. Today, we're going to see what God has to say about the value of human life and how that applies to hatred and prejudice in our society today. Yesterday, here in Noonan, a group from the National Socialist Movement came to promote their hatred based on race. They chose April 21st because it was the first Saturday after Hitler's birthday on April 20th. You see, as a church, we do not agree with this group or their views. The Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias says that there are sacred traits that we are given. That is, there are traits given to us by our Creator. Our race, our gender, our nationality, are traits given to us by God. As a church, and as followers of Jesus Christ, we disagree with any person or group of people who chooses to oppose and have hatred to someone else based on those characteristics that God has given them. You see, racism is not a skin issue. Racism is a sin issue. You see, when you have those feelings, you're not only judging that person, but you are judging God himself. You are basically looking at that person and looking at God saying, God, you made a mistake. God, you messed up here. You made that person wrong. And this is unacceptable to God, and it is unacceptable 
to us. With racism and prejudice, it's not just about the presence of hatred. It's about the absence of love. So let me pause here for a moment today, and let's define what is meant when we say the words racism, hatred, and prejudice. First, racism. It's a prejudice or discrimination or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that that one's own race is superior. The word racism didn't even exist in the English language until 1902. Now, don't get me wrong, racism has been around since the beginning of time, but there was actually not a word for it until Richard Henry Pratt was rallying against the evils of racism and racial segregation as it pertained to the Native American. He said this, Segregating any class or race of people apart from the rest of the people kills the progress of the segregated people or makes their growth very slow. Association of races and classes is necessary to destroy racism and classism. Now, Pratt, in particular, was a staunch advocate of folding Native Americans into white life. It was assimilation through education. See, he was also famous for saying, kill the Indian, but save the man. Instead of celebrating differences, Pratt's thought was to remove all differences. He had the feeling that the Native American would be wiped out within a generation of two, destroyed by disease and starvation. And so he desired to make them more like everybody else so they could survive. But some of the worst outcomes in our society have happened when someone started out doing something they thought was good. In the century since Pratt first used that term racism, that word has become an abstraction to most of us. But always buried somewhere underneath it are actions with real consequences. Sometimes those outcomes are intended. Sometimes they're not. But it's the outcomes, not the intentions, that matter most in the end. Next, we have this word hate. And hate simply means to feel intense or passionate dislike. Now, I have heard so many times parents tell their children, don't use that word. But we should not fear the word, but instead we should fear the intent of the heart of the person who uses it. You see, not all hate is bad. God calls us to hate what is evil. We are to hate racism. But when hate is directed toward a person based on their culture, their skin color, or their gender, that is wrong, and that is a sin. Finally, let's take a look at this word prejudice. Prejudice means preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. Now, I want to dig a bit deeper into this word prejudice, and I believe if we go back to the first dictionary written by Noah Webster in 1828, we will get a much clearer picture of exactly what is meant by prejudice. He says it's a prejudgment, an opinion or decision of mind formed without due examination of the facts or arguments which are necessary to adjust an impartial determination. It is used in a good or bad sense. Innumerable are the prejudices of education. We are accustomed to believe what we are taught and to receive opinions from others without examining the grounds by which they can be supported. A man has strong prejudices in favor of his country or his party or the church in which he has been educated, and often our prejudices are unreasonable. If I may paraphrase that, prejudice 
is ignorance on steroids. It is making a judgment on what we do not know without having the desire to find out the truth. George W. Bush spoke in Dallas shortly after the shootings a few years ago, and he said this, Too often we judge other groups by their worst examples, while judging ourselves by our best intentions. So all three of these, racism, prejudice, and hatred, they have two characteristics in common. First, they are all learned. And second, they are all sin. You see, you were not born a racist. You, you were not born hating people. You were not born with prejudice in your life. However, all of us were born sinners. Our society today is full of all three of these. People are not given jobs or, or given jobs. People are promoted or not promoted. They're persecuted or looked over solely because of their race, their gender, or their nationality. And what's scary is I cannot look into a mirror or I cannot look into someone else's face and see racism because it is a heart issue. And only God can transform our hearts. Now, before coming to work at Southcrest, I worked in quality control at the Kia assembly plant down in West Point. And as many of you know, Kia is a Korean automotive company. And many of the management and technical support there are from Korea. Uh, most of them come for a three-year time period and serve, and then they go back home to Korea. Believe it or not, there was tension at times because the American workers and the Korean workers. Uh, communication was one of the main struggles that we had. I can remember oftentimes what would normally be a five-minute conversation would take 20 minutes because you wanted to make sure both sides understood clearly what you were communicating. Being in quality, I would often receive uh, emails about vehicle specifications that were very important to doing my job. And I would open up the email only to find it all in Korean, and I couldn't read any of it. And so I'd have to get someone to translate it for me, which could be very frustrating at times, especially if you were in a hurry. But the biggest differences were in our cultures. You see, as Americans, although we may do things differently, there's this underlying way in which we go about handling items, handling tasks given to us. For instance, there's an understanding of how we communicate, not just to those above us, but to those also below us. Uh, many of us, if we were working on a project and we found ourselves in a difficult place and someone else came in and offered up wisdom, offered up another way of doing it, we would look at that person and appreciate them and be thankful for what they have done. But one thing I learned in, in the Korean culture, this is often deemed as an insult. You see, when you go in and tell someone, hey, I know you're working on this, but you should do it this way, or maybe you should look at doing this, or I think this is not going to work, you're actually insulting them as a person. You're telling them you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, why did we ever hire you? You shouldn't even have a job. And it's a great insult. So while I was working at Kia, it became very important not just to solve problems, but to think about how I presented that information to those around me and how I share the information so as not to insult or hurt someone. In essence, everyone who worked at Kia, no matter where they were from or what position they held, had to learn how to think of others instead of just thinking of themselves and how to respect those differences. 
Again, we need to learn to think of others and not ourselves, which sounds like something that Jesus would say. And that's exactly what I want to do today. I want to share with you what God has to say about the value of every human life and how we need to respond to hatred and prejudice. Now, I think we should start at the very beginning because that's a very good place to start. In Genesis 1, starting with verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps, creeps in the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All of us. Everyone who has ever been born, and everyone who ever will be born, is created in the image of God. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, whether you're male or female, what part of the earth you were born in, you were created by God in his own image. I want you to gather this. Before the creation of the earth, God knew he was going to make you. He knew how he was going to make you. And most importantly, he loved you. No one has the authority or the right to judge you based on how God made you. As a matter of fact, this angers God. He says in Job 38, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, I want to pause right there. If God is speaking to you from a whirlwind, you're probably not in a very good position. But this is what God says. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, because I will question you and make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. You see, unfortunately, once sin entered the world, judgment, prejudice, and hatred came right alongside of it. The very first example we see of this is two brothers, Cain and Abel. And Cain kills his brother Abel because God approved of Abel's gift, and it angered Cain. And to this day, we continue to see the prejudice and hatred existing and the need for justice and love. The civil rights movement... Equality for women, the Holocaust, the Hatfields and the McCoys, civil wars, and the list goes on and on and on. Let me share an incident that happened with you a year ago. A group of over 5,000 rioters broke windshields, rolled over cars, started fires, tore down light poles, threw rocks, and lit fireworks at police. Rioters were met with police in riot gear who had to use mace and tear gas to disperse the crowd. And all of this happened because of a football game. Now, some of you think that's a bit crazy, but wait until September when all of us don our colors and you begin to understand this intensity. But I have a question for you today. How do we expect to end racial, gender, and cultural discrimination in our society when that is how we respond to our team losing a football game? You see, civil rights women's, and women's activist Audre Lorde once said, it is not our differences that divide us. It is our inability to recognize, accept, and celebrate these differences 
that causes the problem. You see, the Apostle John tells us in the Gospel, John 7, 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. You see, we must learn how to see people as God sees people, not what's on the inside, outside, but what's on the inside. Created in his image, educator and author William Pickens wrote, to cheapen the lives of any group of men cheapens the lives of all men, even our own. This is a law of human psychology or human nature, and it will not be repealed by our wishes, nor will it be merciful to our blindness. You see, when we negatively judge others on how God created them, we are not loving them as God would love them. And Scripture is very clear on how God feels about prejudice and hatred. 1 John 3.15 Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It is very clear that if you're going to follow Jesus, that you cannot have prejudice or hate in our lives. You see, God is love, and love, by definition, is relational. And it is through relationships that we begin to make a difference in our society. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, People fail to get along because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they have not communicated with each other. You see, if we follow Christ, then it follows that we should love those around us. But remember that love is also an action. It requires something of us. Mark Batterson says, Goodness is not the absence of badness. You can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. So as a follower of Jesus... How do we move forward? How do we live a life full of love? Paul tells the church in Rome the true marks of a Christian. We'll be in Romans 12, starting with verse 9. He says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in your zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, Paul writes to us very boldly here, but all he's doing is reminding us of what we should already know. He wants us to be transformed in our hearts and minds and to be, begin to embrace what is acceptable to God. But this can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit.
We need to pause and meditate on these verses. We don't need to breathe over them. We need to linger and sit here for a while. We need to read these verses and and think about how other verses in Scripture support these verses and build these verses up. We need to ask ourselves, what are practical things that I can do to live out these verses? How do I put them into my life? How do I make them part of who I am? Uh, Think about some of these things he says in here. He starts off by saying what love should be. And of all the things he said that love should be, he doesn't say let love be great or let love be bold or let love be earnest or joyful. He says let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be genuine. Why is that even on his mind? Well, why? Because the hypocrite is totally concerned about himself. How will I appear is his driving question. How can I create a good impression of me is his consuming desire. This, this love where we act like we love someone simply because it makes us feel better about ourselves, is not love at all. Jesus called us to a higher level of love. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Now, I believe when Jesus told us to lay down his life, he didn't really mean that we necessarily had to die for someone else. Now, don't get me wrong. That is the biggest act of love you could ever do. But what I think he's saying here is you need to die to your wants. You need to die to your needs. You need to die to your selfish and prideful desires that live inside of you for the betterment of someone else. I believe that Jesus is calling us to be something more in this moment. You see, he continues, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Let me get all of your attention. Let me focus on me real quick. The most shallow, empty, cowardly, weak kind of love there is, if you can even classify it as love, is a man or woman who will see someone in Christ struggling with sin, who's living in sin, who's walking in sin. They're walking what the Bible clearly says is wicked, but we say nothing to them. We do not confront them. We don't sit down with them or, or call them out. But instead, we do one of two things. The first is we look at that person and it's like, wow, that's pretty rough. I, I hope it turns out okay for them in the end. Or the second and probably even worse thing we do is we begin to do this prayer gossip thing where we call a bunch of people around so we can tell them about what so-and-so is doing, but we're praying for them as we do that. Now listen. I don't let my kids run around with scissors in their hands. I don't let them play with fire. If if my children go under the kitchen cabinet and pull out the Drano and start chewing on the lid, I don't look and say, wow, I hope that turns out okay for you and you can digest that. I don't look and say, oh, I hope they survive in the end. I don't let my children do something dangerous without me stepping in and stopping it. But tell me, this isn't the spiritual game that many of us get caught up into. Hey, don't worry, I'll pray for you. It's it's good, I prayed. Now, don't get me wrong, prayer is powerful, but the Bible is very clear, it is not enough. You see, we are to abhor what is evil. After we say amen, it's now time for action. It's time for us to do something. We should grieve over what is evil. We should take those near us, those that we love, that we see caught in sin, that we see falling to these traps. 
We should grab them and say, hey, let's sit down for a cup of coffee. Hey, come, come and join me. I want to talk with you. I love you. I'm worried about you. Listen, what you're doing is against what the Bible has to teach. We have to step in. You see, we all seem to have people in our life who push those lines. Right now, you're thinking of that person who's pushing that line that you know you need to step in and say something to. But listen, all of us need to be confronted. I need to be confronted. We all have sin in our life, and all of us need someone to step in and say, hey, what you're doing is not right. And that's why God has put you in those person's lives. For that very reason, for you to step in, lay down your comfort, lay down your will, your desires, and step in and say, hey, I love you more than I love myself. Let's talk. You see, then it says we rejoice in hope. Now, I want to be honest with you about that word hope. Because hope is one of those words that everyone's like, you hope, we celebrate it. And it's a good thing. But if you think about it, it's wrought with pain and sorrow. If you have hope, that means you're probably in a bad situation. If you have great hope, it means you're probably in a very difficult situation. I mean, that's okay because we serve a very big God. So the question I'm really asking today as it comes to this passage is, are there any areas of our lives, in my life, in your life, that we are tolerating sin? Are there situations that we're just looking past and ignoring? See, we really don't think about those implications on the gospel and how they impact God's glory. But Paul is asking us to lay down those areas and to uphold what is good, what is right, and what is true, what is from God. Because when you hold fast to what is good, you're holding fast to God's definition of love. And love from God is truly and ultimately good. And he only wants what is good and what is best for his children. On April 4th, marked the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The night before he was assassinated, he preached an incredibly prophetic sermon entitled, I Have Been to the Mountaintop. If you haven't read it, read it. Let me encourage you to do so. Dr. King that night reflected on the civil rights fight for Memphis, Tennessee. But he was reminiscing about the battle they had fought in Birmingham, Alabama. For two decades, Bull Connor served as the public safety commissioner in Birmingham. And he didn't just oppose the civil rights movement, he became the symbol of institutional racism. It was Bull Connor who unleashed the attack dogs, ordered the use of fire hoses, and when the Freedom Riders were brutally beaten by the KKK, Bull Connor withheld police protection for the innocent protesters. But Dr. King said this, Bull Connor sent the dogs. Bull Connor turned on the fire hoses, but Bull Connor didn't know history. You see, there's a certain kind of fire that no water can put out. He said there was a power that Bull Connor couldn't adjust to. And so we ended up transforming Bull into a steer, and we won our struggle in Birmingham. But how did they do it? Dr. King said we didn't need bricks and we didn't need bottles. Why? Because they didn't wage wars the way the world does. And then he went on to quote 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So what is our weapon? Well, you don't fight fire with fire. You don't fight violence with violence. 
You don't fight injustice with injustice. And two wrongs never make a right. Ephesians 6, 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present age, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So how do we stop racism, prejudice, and hatred? Well, we turn to God. You see, all of these are sin. And sin is a choice that you make. Sin is a wrong action that you take. And sin is a right action you don't take. And all of these are attacks from the enemy. And we are on our own, do not have the power to stop these. Because our enemy is very strong. But our God is so much stronger. You see, God provides the way. Second Chronicles seven fourteen, If my people, if the church, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, he provides the way, but we have to put in the legwork. We have to make a decision today that we will not tolerate racism. When we hear that inappropriate joke from someone, we don't just laugh, not laugh at it, but we go to that person and say, hey, you need to know that joke is not funny, it is harmful, and it is hurtful, and you need to stop. It means we don't judge people. You see, if we don't have a choice to judge someone based on their appearance, but on the strength of their character. In other words, if you don't know someone, and you're not going to take the time to get to know that person, you have no right and no business judging them but to accept them for who God created them to be. Do we behave differently around people who are different than us? A few years back, a movie came out called Zootopia. And being a dad of four, I'm always up to date on the latest animated motion pictures. So this movie is about a world where all animals live together in harmony. Predator and prey, they live together. The star of this movie is a rabbit named Judy Hopps. And Judy decides to join the police force. Her parents send her on her way with a canister of fox repellent. You see, later in the movie, Judy befriends the fox. And they join together to help to solve a missing animal's case. Their friendship, however, is called into question when the fox asks Judy why she carries the canister of fox repellent. You see, she had been taught since a young age not to trust a fox. This behavior had become a habit a part of her everyday life. Now, now, Judy was pretty groundbreaking for a rabbit that she even befriended a fox. But something her parents would never have done. But as we know, old habits die hard. And even though they were friends, she fully didn't trust him and kept the fox repellent. You see, sometimes we intentionally make decisions to hurt people. And other times, we hurt people without even knowing it. Ask God to help you get rid of all kind of malice, hatred, and prejudice in your lives. You know, what would the world... We change the world by changing the world around us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus did just that. He spent three years investing into 12 men right around him. He loved people around him and did what he could do to make life better. He met their physical needs, but more importantly... He met their spiritual needs. He lived a perfect life, and because of that, the world hated him. They killed him, but death couldn't hold him down. He rose three days later and was seen by many people. 
He inspired his followers to live a sacrificial and reckless life full of love. A life that caused them to be hated, persecuted, and even killed. And I can only imagine if we lived during that time, having a conversation saying, Hey, what do you think is going to last longer? The Roman Empire or these Jesus followers? I have news for you today. All that is left of Rome is ruins. But there are over 2 billion people in the world today who follow Jesus Christ. What would our world, what would our community, what would Noonan and LaGrange look like if we loved people like Jesus loved people? You see, God would heal our land. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know how long this experiment in democracy called America is going to last. But I do know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I do know that he is coming again. And when he comes again, he will end all pain, all suffering, all racism, all prejudice, and all hatred. Sin and death will be no more. But until that day comes, I know that I need to follow him today. And tomorrow, I need to follow him. Maybe you're here today and you've never followed Jesus. Will it day be the, today be the day that you make that change? Today be the day that you make a difference. Let today be the day that you choose love over hate.